You're listening to a sermon from River City Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. For more gospel-centered resources and to learn about our church, visit www.rivercitympls.com. Thank you for taking time to greet one another. Go ahead and head back to your seats if you can. Feel free to still grab something to drink if you want, but uh, find your way back to your seats. <laughs> Just conversations continue. This is great. Um, well, again, welcome. We're going to be in Mark 2 today, so go ahead and open there if you have a Bible. Mark 2, verses 23 through 28. If you're using one of the hardback black Bibles that you find in the back, feel free to grab one of those. We're going to be on page 839 in these, so feel free to grab one. If you do not own a Bible and you need one, this is a gift from us to you, so feel free to take that with you when you leave. But otherwise, um, it's great to have God's Word in our hands when we read it. So Mark 2, 23 through 28. And in today's passage, uh, it's really about the forgotten art of Sabbath rest. Jesus and the Pharisees, they get into conflict here in our passage over how the Sabbath was supposed to be practiced. And we together are going to be reminded today that Sabbath is actually for our good. It was given to us for our good. It was meant to be a blessing and not a burden. And so that's our hope that by the end of this, we will see this rhythm of Jesus as a blessing not a burden. We're in a series called Tired of Being Tired, Experiencing, or what's the, experiencing the Rhythms of Jesus in the Life of Dis- or <laughs> I should know the name of the series, right? Tired of Being Tired, Embracing the Rhythms of Jesus in an Age of Distraction. There's the title. So uh, w- what we're trying to do together is we want to look at the life of Jesus, and we don't just want to learn from his words and his works. Of course, we do want those things, but we want to learn from the ways of Jesus, and we want to come to adopt his ways. We're going to follow him in his life. And Sabbath was a central rhythm in the life of Jesus and his disciples. And we believe that it's a blessing for us meant to be that way. So we're going to learn about that today. So if you found Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through 28, I will read there and you can follow along with me. Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through 28. And it says, one Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for the gift it is to us, your people, that in it you reveal yourself and your heart and your intent and purpose and creation to us, and so we want to receive that word right now. We know that the grass withers and the flower fades, but your word will stand forever, and so we ask for your help by the power of your spirit. Would you open our eyes that we might behold the wondrous things that are found here in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, I'd love to ask a question. By sh- you guys can raise your hands. How many of you have ever in your life, maybe as a child or now as an adult or wherever, ha- have tried to implement a 24-hour Sabbath into your weekly rhythm of life? Who's tried to do that? Okay, good. Now, I'll ask now, how many of you currently have an intentional 24-hour Sabbath as part of your weekly rhythm? Okay. So, uh, I ask that not to shame you, to be very clear, okay? But actually because I believe that the Sabbath was meant to be a blessing for us, that God gave it to us as a gift. And I want to try and encourage you today to even attempt to start to do that in your life. It is by far the most neglected of the Ten Commandments. And in fact, when the, when the population of the United States was surveyed, it was the least remembered of the Ten Commandments when asked which of them were part of the Ten Commandments. Now, I got my first ride in a Tesla this week. I don't know if anybody's ridden in a Tesla. They're pretty amazing. Uh, amazing technology, amazing performance. I, Liam is cheering right now because he rode with me, and it was pretty awesome. Uh, if you buy a Tesla, it comes with a certain set of rules by which you should use it. And if you neglect those rules, things will go wrong. For example, depending on the model you get, there's a certain distance that you can drive before you need to stop and recharge the batteries. And in fact, if you set in a destination on the map, it will map out for you the entire route with all the charging stations as part of the path. Now, if the one who made the Tesla tells you when you should charge it, then you'd probably want to listen. Well, the one who designed you has also said that every seven days, you should take a 24-hour rest in order to recharge our proverbial batteries. And so a Tesla owner would be a fool to neglect the directions of the designer, and we are just as foolish to neglect the directions of our designer. And so what I want you to see today, this is my hope for you in the sermon, that I want you to see that the Sabbath was given to you for your good. So enjoy the blessing it was designed to be for you. Here's our outline today. First, rest is a blessing, not a burden. Second, rest is a blessing, not an inconvenience. And third, rest is a blessing, not an achievement. So we'll start with rest is a blessing, not a burden. In a sermon on the Sabbath, it would be good for us to define some terms, in particular, what Sabbath means. So we'll start there. It, it actually comes from a Hebrew word, Shabbat, which literally means he rested and is the name for the seventh day of the week within Hebrew. The concept of Sabbath, though, is rooted in the creation narrative from Genesis 1 and 2. In six days, God created all things, and on the seventh day, God rested. Each of the first six days ends with this repeated phrase, and you should recognize it if you're familiar with this story in Genesis 1 and 2. There was evening and there was morning the first day, or the second day, or whichever day it was. But that didn't happen on the seventh day. On the seventh day, God rested. The Genesis story begins with a world that is disordered and it is confused, without form and void, is how it says it in Genesis 1. And throughout the first six days of creation, God brings peace and order out of the chaos, and then he rests from his work. He blessed the seventh day, and he called it holy. And in there, we, the lack of the phrase, there was evening and there was morning on the seventh day, means that this rest is meant to be ongoing and enjoyed with his creation. Adam and Eve lived in perfect rest and harmony with their creator until they sinned, 
and the world was plunged back into disorder and confusion again. And the rest of the Bible is about God once again bringing order and peace out of this chaos, which is why he includes in the Ten Commandments that, that are given in the wilderness in Exodus 20 that part of living in resistance to that chaos is anticipating our future and eternal rest through the Sabbath. So in Exodus 20, God tells them to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And he explains to them that just like God rested from his creation, we are supposed to labor for six days and then have a rest. Sabbath was given as a blessing. It was given as a day to remember and anticipate, to remember all that God has done in redeeming creation and anticipate the day when we might one day experience true rest with him. So Jesus comes in now, though he's surrounded by people who have made this blessing into a burden. What began as, I think, an honest desire among these religious leaders to follow God's command had become a legalistic, religious kind of rule that completely missed the point. Here's how it happened for them. If the command in Exodus 20 says that you should not do any work... And then somewhere else it talks about not carrying a burden on the Sabbath. And you start to ask yourself, what does work mean? What does it mean to carry a burden? Well, you need to define some of those things. And according to one commentary, the scribal law defined a burden as, this is something you should not carry, food equal in weight to a dried fig, enough wine for mixing in a goblet, milk enough for one swallow. So if you like a gallon of milk, you don't get a whole gallon, just one swallow for you. Honey enough to put upon a wound, oil enough to anoint a member, a small member, water enough to moisten an eye salve, ink enough to write two letters of the alphabet, and read enough to make a pen. They would argue over whether a man could carry a lamp from one place to another in his home, whether a tailor could carry a needle in his pocket, or whether a father could even lift his child. What started out as an effort to honor the Sabbath eventually became a convoluted moral system that completely missed the point. So it's no wonder that the Sabbath then becomes such a central point of controversy between Jesus and the religious leaders. Because perhaps at no other point had they so badly misunderstood God's law and upheld the commandments of men to the detriment of God's vision for humanity. In our passage, Jesus and his disciples, they're walking through a grain field we see in verse 23, and they start to pluck the grain. And for the Pharisees, this act violated the rules of work that had been defined by their tradition. So they confronted Jesus, and they asked him, why are his disciples doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus answers their question like he always does so often with another story. And he tells them a story from the Old Testament. It reminds them of something that they should know which will show them that they have fundamentally misunderstood the intent of the Sabbath. The story he tells is about David, and it comes from 1 Samuel chapter 21. In that passage, David's on the run from Saul, and he comes to the city of Nob, which is the city of priests at this time. He's in need of food, and he's hungry, and there's no bread, but there is the bread of presence. And so the priest gives this bread to David and his men. Well, in 1 Samuel, if you were to read there, it, the priest, before he gives them the bread, makes sure that David and all of his men are ceremonially pure, which means they've not been with a woman throughout their journeys. And David assures them, yes, absolutely, they are ceremonially pure. They can have this bread. 
And even though they were not priests, Mark Strauss in his commentary says that uh, David and the priest did not break the true spirit and purpose of the law, since human need supersedes mere ritual observance. And so in order to summarize the point that Jesus is trying to make, then he gives them this little proverb about the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And in many ways, that little proverb is kind of the central organizing principle around which this sermon is being preached. We, I want to help you get that into your heart, that this Sabbath was made for us to be a blessing, not a burden like it had become. The Pharisees had missed the point, and they turned the Sabbath blessing into legalistic burden. But God did not give the Sabbath to steal people's joy. He gave it for life and for peace. But the Pharisees' application was actually sucking the life out of people. And the Pharisees were right there, watching people's every move to see if they had violated their understanding of the Sabbath. They were like the ancient gotcha police, which we can be so frustrated with today. But rather than canceling people for failing to use, for example, politically correct language that would be currently approved, the Pharisees were canceling people for not following the Sabbath rules correctly. And this is actually a fairly good parallel because trying to use what we'd call politically correct language comes from, in many ways, a good motivation to respect others, to honor them with our language, but it's been hijacked by the gotcha police. And according to the Hidden Tribe study in 2018, a full 80% of Americans believe that politically correct or political correctness is a problem in our country. Young and old, black and white, have come to see political correctness as a tool for control not what it was intended to be. In a similar way, the Sabbath is meant to bring life, but it was used to control, to cancel, and to condemn. Now, we live in a very different culture than Jesus did. Jesus' teaching here comes in a time where the Sabbath is used to control and to condemn. But I don't know many people who think today that the Sabbath is a burden because most people I know don't practice any form of an intentional Sabbath at all. So when Jesus said the Sabbath was meant for man, not man for the Sabbath, I think today we need the second half of that statement as much as the Pharisees needed the first half. Or sorry, the other way around. We need the first half of that statement as much as the Pharisees needed the second half. For most people, Sabbath is not a burden because we just ignore it. But as a result, I think people are missing out on the blessing that it can be. So we come to the second point. Rest is a blessing. It is not an inconvenience. We don't like to be inconvenienced by our limitations. We don't always like to take time to eat, and so we've invented a microwave and fast food and meal replacement shakes. We don't like to be inconvenienced by sleep, and so we drink coffee and Red Bull and monster drinks. At one point in time, in order to avoid the limitations of sleep, I actually tried something called polyphasic sleep. Poly means many, phases or phasic, right? So multiple times, but short intervals. What happens when you do this is you reduce your overall sleep time. So you take 20 to 30 minute naps about four to six times per day. Sometimes maybe a longer nap at night. In theory, you would allow yourself the benefit of full sleep, but just in three to five hours. Now, most doctors do not recommend this, and you can guess why. And I'll say this intermittent sleep schedule did not work for me, okay? It was an utter failure. 
it was, it was a good attempt, but terrible. So I was ineffective at everything I did, tired everywhere I went, and I think it maybe lasted a week, if that. But I tried because I wanted to reduce my limitations. I was in college at the time. I was involved in a campus ministry, working 25 to 30 hours. I, I wanted to spend time with friends and invest in relationships. I also wanted to pass my classes. Sleep was inconvenient to my goals. And so I wanted to find a way to avoid this limitation if I could. As Justin Whitmell early said in his book, The Common Rule, none of us like our limits. Like Adam and Eve in the garden, we are not content to be like God. We want to be God. The weekly habit of Sabbath is to remind us that God is God and we are not. The Sabbath is an opportunity for us to admit our limits and also to acknowledge that God is unlimited. When we Sabbath, we're building a regular reminder into our lives of our need for God. We may not like to admit our limits, but that doesn't mean we don't have them. And when we Sabbath, it is a weekly way of admitting that we cannot accomplish everything we want to accomplish, but that God is fully capable of fulfilling his work even while we rest. I was struck by this reminder just this past week. Our family practices Sabbath on Thursdays uh, because that's what works well for us. As a pastor, Sundays aren't a great day for us to have a Sabbath, and so we Sabbath on Thursdays. And this last week, I was reading, leading a pastor's retreat from Monday through Wednesday, and my family was going to come and join me at the cabin for the last night that this Airbnb was reserved. And so at about 2.30 p.m. on Wednesday, all the pastors had left, and I got a text from Megan. They were going to arrive at 4.15 p.m., and so I knew, okay, I had an hour and 45, or yeah, an hour and 45 minutes so I could get a little work done before our Sabbath would begin. Knowing this helped me focus on what I needed to do most, but I also knew that there was no way I could get everything done that I would have liked to have gotten done in that amount of time. So I did all that I could, and then I shut my computer a little before they arrived, knowing that I had not finished everything. But Sabbath is a reminder that we cannot do everything. And here's the deal. Even if you didn't take a day to rest each week, you still would not be able to do everything. But in the weekly habit of admitting that you cannot, you grow in your freedom to work hard at what you can. And you grow in your freedom to trust God with everything that you cannot. Well, on our way home from the cabin the next day on Thursday, we stopped at Cathillo State Park just south of Mille Lacs Lake. And we had this beautiful hike together. But I have to admit, I had to constantly remind myself to be present with my family and present with the Lord because... I knew that after leading a retreat at the beginning of the week, when I got home, I was going to have a pile of work to do way too high for Friday. I had to remind myself that it is the Lord who sustains life. It is the Lord who changes lives through my efforts, my work of pastoring, so I could rest from my work. And there I was, surrounded by creation, water, wildlife, woods, I was reminded that God had sustained this creation for generations and centuries, long before I ever came and long after I would be gone. He is more than capable of completing the work that I cannot. And here's the beauty of the rhythm of work and rest. Both are from God. Both are good. And both are better when we're committed to doing both. Because we were created in God's image, we were designed for work, to labor, in good things. 
This is, there's something wonderful about work when you get lost in a task, and it is positively glorious when we spend our energy in meaningful labor. Sabbath rest is not the enemy of hard work. In fact, I think both are better when both are celebrated. Rest is a blessing from God. It is not an inconvenience to be avoided. Now, point three, rest is a blessing and not an achievement. Sabbath is not a competition. It's not an achievement. And it's definitely not an opportunity for control and condemnation. Now, if you do not have a regular practice of Sabbath right now, then I do think you're missing out on a blessing that God has for you. And I want to encourage you to just find a way to get started. It doesn't have to be perfect. I think sometimes we're paralyzed by getting started perfectly. It doesn't have to be perfect. But I want to give you some tips, maybe just to help you get started. And beware, though, of the tendency to turn Sabbath keeping into a new legalism. So when I give you these tips, just know they're they're not a legalism. They're not a rule. They're just a recommendation. So receive them as such. I have three steps for you to just get started. First is decide who, second decide what, and third decide when. First decide who. Uh, God made us as people for relationship. None of us exists as a solitary individual. Whether you are married or single, whether you have kids or no kids or adult kids, we live in relationships. In a culture where so few people practice a Sabbath, if you're going to implement this rhythm into your life, then you'll need to think about who it's going to impact and also who you'd like to include. So if your Sabbath will change the way that you go about your work, then you should let your coworkers know ahead of time. Tell them. If they're used to getting a hold of you every day of the week and you want to take a day off, then you need to communicate that to them. If you have a spouse and kids, then you'll have to work together on what Sabbath looks like. When, when Megan and I started Sabbathing with our family, we had to have a conversation about each of our schedules, and we actually made adjustments to our schedules together so that we could begin doing it. We had conversations with our kids about what it would mean for their school and their lives, and so talk with the people that it will impact. And the other thing you'll want to consider is who do you want to include? Obviously, if you have a family, you want to include them, but maybe there are other individuals or other families that you'll want to include as part of your Sabbath rhythm. So first, think about who. Second, decide what. The aim of Sabbath is to remember and rest. So rather than making hundreds of rules about what you can and cannot do, which, again, would fundamentally miss the point, then just ask yourself, what brings my soul rest? And then do that. Or ask yourself, what distracts me from Jesus and people? And then don't do those things. And I'd encourage you to just start with two of each. And just think of two of each. Decide two things that you're going to do during your Sabbath and two things that you're not. Maybe during your Sabbath you want to read a novel. Or maybe you want to take a nap. Or maybe you want to go for a run. Abraham Heschel, a Jewish rabbi and philosopher, has a helpful principle when thinking about this. He says, a man who works with his mind should Sabbath with his hands. And a man who works with his hands should Sabbath with his mind. Again, not a rule, but a helpful principle. I work with my mind. And so for me, it's helpful for me to move my body on the Sabbath. And so I like to go for a run on those days. Or our family will often get out for a hike of some kind. These things are good for my soul. They help me to rest in Christ. On a Sabbath, maybe you'll take an extended quiet time, or maybe you'll set aside time to pray. Maybe you'll have a dance party, or you'll play a game. But take a break from your daily routine and rest. That's what it's meant to be. But there's another side to Sabbath, which is one of resistance. 
Sabbath is an opportunity to resist the urge from our culture to do everything, to be everywhere, to know everything. We are admitting our limitations. We're acknowledging our inadequacies, which is why we rest from our regular labors. But there might also be other things that you need to decide not to do because they distract you from God and from others. And so Sabbath is an opportunity to resist the impact of things like screens. You may choose to limit screens or completely eliminate them on your Sabbath. You might choose to spend or to not spend any money on Sabbath because uh, materialism or purchasing is something that you find to be distracting. But just stop and think about two things that you'd want to eliminate for 24 hours in order to open yourself up to the worship of God. Maybe it's no emails or phone calls. Maybe no cooking or cleaning. Rather than trying to eliminate all things at once, just choose two. And if you plan ahead and begin your Sabbath equipped with these two things, two things you will do, two things you will not, then you're off to a great start. Again, it doesn't have to be perfect. You just need to start. And I've heard stories of people who have tried to do this perfectly the first time. Now, they're, I think with good intent, they want to just start Sabbath so well. And so they are watching the clock tick down till 5 p.m. when they're going to start. And 5 p.m. hits, phones are off, screens are unplugged, brooms and vacuums are stowed. They've been hearing about this Sabbath thing, and darn it, they're going to be the best Sabbathers you've ever seen. And so they are ready to go. They're at the table, candle is lit, they're sharing their meal with their family, asking good and intentional questions. And the meal goes well, but then the meal is over, and then they wonder, can I clear the table or not? They finally decide that they can rinse the plates with water, but not scrape them, because that would be too much work, then put them in the dishwasher. And then they get done, they're sitting in the living room, and all of a sudden they're just staring at each other. They've decided they're not going to have friends over, they're not going to go out, there's no phones or TV. And so they just look at each other uncomfortably, wondering what to do next. And the next day turns into the longest day of their entire life. The only thing the kids are allowed to do is read books, or better yet, their Bible. And when they come to mom and dad and say, I'm bored, then they say, just go and pray. Spend some time praying. So after hours of awkwardness and silence and boredom, the whole family is now also watching the clock tick down to 5 p.m. again, this time waiting to be freed from the prison they created for, themsel for themselves. Now, I don't mean to make light of these attempts because I think they're really done with earnest desire to honor God. But I actually, and I actually do think the discomfort that we feel, that our soul feels when we remove things like work and screens and credit cards, we should listen to that. It's a good thing to hear that. Our soul is telling us something. But the other thing that I've observed about this is that when people start like this, they often just stop trying because it didn't work. It wasn't worth it. Why try and go through that? So let me just say two things. One, pursuing a Sabbath rhythm will be hard at times. It will make you uncomfortable. It will reveal things in your heart. This is a good thing. Second, pursuing a Sabbath rhythm is meant to be a blessing. And it should not feel like a complete burden. The goal is not to Sabbath perfectly, but to remember God's eternal rest. In anticipation of that rest, we practice it now. And so my recommendation is simple. Two things that you will do, two things that you will not do. And then the third thing is decide when. Plan ahead for a 24-hour period when you can have your first Sabbath. And ideally, it would be a day of the week that you can do it again the next week. So choose whatever day works for you or your family. 
for most people, Sunday is an ideal day for Sabbath because not only do you rest from work, but within that you get the rhythm of gathering with God's people as we together remember the rest we have in Christ. There's a reason the church has done it that way for generations. But it really, it doesn't matter if it's Sunday or another day. Just pick a day and start. The Jews were strict about their Sabbath being on the seventh day of the week, which started on Friday at sundown and went to Saturday at sundown. And this rhythm was given by God to them at creation. And I do not think it was an accident in that whole rhythm that Jesus rose from the dead on a Sunday, the first day of a new week. Sabbath had been the last day of the week because God rested on the seventh day. And that rest was interrupted by the fall. And so God set about the work to redeem creation and bring it back into his eternal rest. And this was achieved through Christ on the cross. He was in the tomb on the Sabbath day, and he rose again on Sunday. In one way, Jesus rose again on the eighth day, but in a whole other way, he rose again on the first day of a whole new creation. And so Christians started to practice Sabbath on the first day of the week rather than the last, because no longer do we rest from work, we rest in Christ, and we work as a result. Rest begins the week, and our work flows out of the eternal rest that we have in Christ. Now, in the end, it doesn't matter whether you pick Sunday or Thursday or Saturday. What matters is that you understand Sabbath was given as a blessing to celebrate our rest in Christ. May we not turn it into a burden. Jesus came into this world and offered rest to all those who feel weary and heavy laden. And it's found in him. It is not found in religion. It is not found in work. And it is not found in the perfect Sabbath. Rest is found in Jesus. And it's to him that we look for our rest. And so as you seek to implement the Sabbath, don't turn it into a new legalism for you, a new burden for you. Let it be a blessing. And in it, may you find Christ. The Sabbath was given to you for your good. So enjoy the blessing it was designed to be for you. Thank you for listening to this sermon from River City Church. If you found this resource helpful, we encourage you to share it with your friends and family. We exist to see weary lives renewed through relationship with Jesus in the Twin Cities and beyond.